Well, good morning, Grace Church. It is good to see everybody here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad you're here. Those joining us online, we are so glad you've chosen to be a part of our service today. Doesn't it feel good to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and clap your hands to Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Just a couple of things I want to remind you of before we start uh, our service this morning. Um, we have a couple of opportunities coming up here for everyone to support Move the Mission and to also absolutely obliterate your diet. Amen. So after the service today uh, in the A Center, immediately following the altar service, a baked goods auction, uh, all proceeds go to Move the Mission. Come on over and uh, give big and take something sweet home and enjoy that. And then Wednesday night, everybody say Wednesday night, after church is an ice cream social for Move the Mission. So if you don't get your feel of, of cake and cookies and fudge and all that stuff today, come on out Wednesday night and have some ice cream. Amen. Amen. So uh, all to support Move the Mission, and we're excited about that. Uh, not this coming week, but next uh, begins camp meeting, Louisiana District Camp Meeting, July 4th through 7th. If you're able, please go and be a blessing uh, of, uh, from the ministry uh, of the Louisiana District there. And then a very special and important announcement, uh, July the 14th. Everybody say July 14th and say that's a Friday night. That's a Friday night. It's a little different for our normal church schedule, so I want to highlight Friday night, July 14th at 7.30. We're going to be blessed by the ministry of the North Texas District Choir on their Magnify Summer Tour. Amen. Amen. And uh, we're excited about that. We're going to come and worship God. We're going to hear some great apostolic singing, but we're going to see a move of God too. So come out, bring somebody with you, and let's just really blow the roof off that night in worship. What do you say? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Over the last three weeks, some contingent of Grace Church has been at camp. Kids camp, junior camp, senior camp. And so um, I got to go last week to senior camp. And so we're ignited. We're excited. We've been worshiping God. And we're excited about bringing it back to Grace Church. And um, I told you, not this past Wednesday, but the one before, when I opened the service, I just, there was something inside of me. I, I felt like all I, all I could think about was that song we used to sing, I've got to praise and i got to get it out. That's what it felt. I just couldn't wait to get to church to praise God. And um, one night at, at senior camp, they did, they called it an old-fashioned Louisiana district praise break. And they sang, I got to praise and I got to get it out. Hallelujah. My, my praise break went up a notch when they sang that song. How many know you can worship a little bit better when they're singing your favorite song? Amen. Amen. But here's the point. A lot of these folks, especially our students, they've been having old-fashioned Louisiana District Praise Break for three weeks now. But I say this morning, it's time to have a good old-fashioned Grace Church Praise Break in the house of the Lord. So let's worship God together. If you're going to help me, if you're going to give it all you got, let's clap our hands to Jesus as the praise team comes to lead us in worship.
victorious people not because of what we've done but because of what he's done and if we would just lift up our voice we would begin to declare that victory in Jesus name today
say that, not just lyrics to a song, but can we genuinely, from the bottom of our hearts, truly mean that you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of my finances. You're worthy of my time. You're worthy of my energy. You're worthy of everything that I could possibly give you. In your own way, can you just let him know that right now? All across this room. This is a true atmosphere of worship right here. And you have brought it into this room because of your true worship. So let's just stay here for just a couple more seconds. Father, we give you glory. specifically peace there's an angel that travels with me and it just peace is in his hands and I've seen him several times over the past few months he comes into the room I can see him with a gift in his hand and he goes up to people and he tries to hand it and I've seen many take it and I've seen a lot of people reject it and I feel the presence of that angel with me right now and I believe that there's peace in this room so before we go any further I want you to just stretch your hands up right now if you've been looking for peace if you feel like you need peace if you feel like you've had it and you feel like it's kind of hemorrhaging out of your home right now I want you to lift up those hands there's peace in this house it's here right now just reach out and just let him know that you want it you don't have to beg for it either don't you? peace comes it's here you don't have to beg for it would you lift up your voices right now Father in the name of Jesus we're here in unity with you God we want one thing we want your presence you have given gifts to your people today Lord we want to receive it today God of Bibles and turning with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm not moving on because of tradition. I'm not moving on because I'm here and I have to preach. I'm moving on because I feel a word specifically. I told Pastor Murphy this morning when I got here, I, uh, I just conveyed to him that when I woke up this morning, I felt just hope all over me. And I try my best to be in tune. In our, our house, the Holloway house, we try our best to live with hope in our home. And it wasn't from our home, it was coming from heaven, and as I was driving, I, I kept on feeling just hope, 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 and so I, I feel that it's for you in this room, I feel that it's for this church, and I want to deliver what God gave to me and what he's putting on me right now, and so with that, I, I want to just set the helm for you, just kind of point the ship in a direction, that if hope is in this room, I want you to, to put your mind on that, expect it. Expect to walk out of here with peace. Expect to walk out of here with hope. Even if nothing changes. Even if nothing changes, I want you to hold on to it. And if that seems impossible, then I believe the Word of God will help us today with that. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, 
to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. This is a very controversial scripture in our religious world right now, and it has been for quite some time. And I feel like God has revealed a lot to me in this passage, not just from the Spirit, but also from study. And I don't intend to twist the scripture today. I don't intend to warp it or do anything to it to make it say what it does not say. I want the Bible to be the Bible, and I just want to tell you what the Word says through what I have studied and what the Spirit has revealed to me. And so to do that, I want to give you this title. I want to preach to you today, not yet, but already. Not yet, but already. It seems like a conundrum, but it's not. It seems confusing, but it's clear. It seems future, but it's now. Amen. Now, would you do this with me? Would you lift up your hands? And in spite of whatever life looks like right now, I want you to try your best to dig up what God told you, even though it's not here. If God has ever given you a word, maybe you haven't had one specifically yet. Maybe you're a guest and you're saying, well, God hasn't even talked to me yet. Well, he will. And if you have heard prophetic words come across from this pulpit, if you have heard what you thought was hopeful speech, I'm here today to tell you that it was not hopeful, it was from God. And you haven't seen it happen in the church yet. If you've heard it preached growth and it hasn't happened yet, if you have heard expansion of the kingdom and it hasn't happened yet, I'm here to tell you that that wasn't hopeful speech that you heard. It was from heaven. So now let's put our minds there in the future. So let's set our affection on things above, not of this earth. God, in the name of Jesus, you have already seen the altar call. You already know what it's going to look like to those who respond. Lord, you have already seen your people for what they will be. So, God, we're putting our affections on that. That is not future for you. It is present for you. So, God, I'm wanting to be elevated to a heavenly mindset so that I can see what you see. God, I pray that you would show it to these precious people today. God, I pray that you would begin to reveal some deep things to them in the Spirit. In the name of Jesus, only you can do this, God. There's no amount of human effort that could do this. But God, I believe that if I can partner my human effort with your divine presence and will, then much can be accomplished today. So whatever takes place, we get no credit. We give it all to you in advance right here. So can we worship him? Can we worship him for what he's going to do? God, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. You are perfect. You are wise. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Pastor Murphy, for allowing me to be here one more time. So, so honored, and I love you. I honor you. I thank you. Let me set the scene for you. The scene takes place with an early morning as courageous rays of sunlight begin to spill over the horizon, cascading a blend of golden orange and pink hues over the landscape. As night begins to give up its shift and turns the keys over to daytime. There's a gentle sound of sheep that could be heard as they chew the dew-covered grass, and occasionally they would let out a gentle bah. As the golden hue of morning light and sounds of sheep creep through the window of a humble hut, a man rises from his bed. He stretches his arms out wide as an enormous yawn involuntarily comes forth. And while rubbing the sleep from his 
eyes. He puts on his tunic. He straps on his handmade leather sandals, and he walks into the living area ready to prepare for his day. Not long after, his wife comes to where he is and begins to prepare food for the day that her husband is about to embark upon, and she begins to wrap quail eggs and a morsel of bread in a leather hide, and she looks at him and can tell that today he seems a little off. So she consoles him and says, Moses, I know that it don't seem like it's a glorious task to have watched my father's sheep for the past 40 years, and I know you may have thought that being raised in a palace and being saved from the Nile River during a time of mass genocide meant your life was special. But don't be discouraged. Maybe this was all for some divine reason. Moses, no doubt, smiles and kisses his wife, Zipporah, sweetly on the lips. And he takes from her hand the leather hide stuffed with food and says with a, a stutter, Who are you kidding? I'm just Moses, a simple hired shepherd. He pushes back the veiled door that shielded their wilderness home from the arid elements and he now enters into the field of his labor and whistles to the sheep to which they respond by following him out to pasture. Nothing special, nothing divine, nothing glorious, it's just another day. But the words of his wife, I imagine, couldn't escape him. Maybe this is all for a reason. Nevertheless, the task in the field of labor has no respect for wishful thinking. As the hours of the day went by and the sun begins its journey to the opposite horizon, Moses now is beginning the task of herding those sheep under his care back to safety. And on his way home, he turns aside and he gets, begins to see something off in the distance and he begins to approach and he looks and he says, just another burning bush. We've seen this all before. This is the arid elements of the Sinai desert sides and we've just we've seen this before but this bush for some reason as he looked a little longer to look at what seemingly was mundane he analyzed and saw that this was divinely different because he has yet to see in the Sinai wilderness a bush burn and not be consumed he begins to set himself in posture to approach this not consumed bush and I can't help but imagine that Moses is thinking what kind of a mundane average everyday bush can hold flame and not be destroyed little did he know that this average everyday mundane experience would be divine all in of itself because that bush would prophesy to him that if I a normal average everyday bush can hold the glory of God then what can the image of God do it was all set up and it was all prophetic God knew that Moses would pass by that day, and God chose that bush for that moment so that Moses would turn aside. God knows how to get the attention of the ones he's had his eyes on. He turns aside, sees that it is set ablaze, and though he's seen this, it's different. He turns aside to see the great sight of a bush, and then as he approaches, he hears a voice say, Moses, Moses. And I imagine immediately the thought goes through his mind, how does this bush know my name? He comes a little closer and then he hears this convicting voice speak to him. Take your sandals off for where you stand is holy ground. Little did he know that even taking off those handmade sandals would be prophetic in nature as well. Because Moses, where I'm sending you, you cannot go unless you take off where you've been. He takes off his sandals and terrified and in shock, he can't help but wonder, who is this? 
How does this bush know me? And in trembling obedience, he unlatches the strap on his sandals to approach this glorious light. And as he approached, the voice speaks yet again in Exodus 3. I am the God of your father, Abraham. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hides his face. Little did Moses know that there would come a day in the future where he would beg, show me your face. He was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. Imagine in this moment, Moses is wondering himself, who is this God who sees? Who is this God who hears? Who is this God who even knows the sorrows of his people. He then goes on to tell him, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. Who is this God who hears the cries of his children? God doesn't stop there with his ears, though, but he goes on to say, I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Now come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses, consumed with 40 years of mediocre, consumed with, these aren't even my sheep, consumed with, I have a stutter, Consumed with, I thought I was special, but clearly I'm not. Can't help but say, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This insecure Moses is having trouble understanding that the God of the universe that was calling him, he would look at him and say, who am I? To which God responds with something quite perplexing. I will be with you. It's not about your stutter, Moses. It's not about how special you are. It's not about how insecure you are. It's about me being with you. I need you to get this revelation, Moses, that if I'm not with you, you're going to be frustrated with how you talk. If I'm not with you, you're going to have constant thoughts of, well, I thought I was special. You, you're going to have, and at worst, you're going to think, well, I am somebody because I was raised in a palace. None of that matters to me, Moses. That's why my calling will be with this objective, I'm with you. And this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Here's the sign that I'm with you, Moses. When you bring the people out of Egypt, a confused Moses is trying to wrap his head around this future speech that God said so confidently. But God, I haven't even accepted the call yet. I haven't even said I would. I'm still insecure. I heard my speech when I said, who? What do you mean this will be the sign that you were with me when I get to this mountain with Israel? I haven't even gone before Pharaoh yet. I haven't even, I haven't been to Egypt in 40 years. I don't even know if I remember the route. You're saying that the sign that you're with me is already predetermined in the future? 
You're, you already see me on this mountain? That doesn't make sense to me, God. I haven't even left the mountain yet. How can you already see me here with all my brothers and sisters? I'm still here. I haven't even said yes. Little did Moses know that the glory that was being revealed to him in a burning bush was only the introduction to the ultimate plan. Moses could not recognize in his finite mind that the reason why God was so confident in making statements concerning the future was because God does not live in the future. Our perspective is future. His perspective is forever present. That is why he is called the great I am. He does not live in a future mindset. And here is the communication breakdown between the 21st century church and a God that is foreign to us. That when God speaks things, he's not accommodating our present. He is speaking from a place that is future to me and you. But it is present for him because he can see all of it right now. And so to us, that is highly frustrating. And this is the issue I'm seeing and discerning with the church. We had our minds set on the way the end times would look. We had wishful thinking and hopes. And now we're living in a particular place in 2023 where we're doubting ourselves more than we have ever doubted ourselves. We wondered, well, I said this. I spoke this over the platform. I said this to my family. I thought I heard from God. And yet here I am right now and it hasn't happened. I thought that when I said that Grace Central would be. It hasn't yet. And so this, this feelings come over us of, oh no, the people are going to think I'm a false prophet. Let me help you real quick. Of the Bible, I've, I've spent more time studying prophets than I think just about anything else outside of the gospel. And what I can find about the prophets is 87% of the time you find a prophet, this is true statistics, not made up, not those kind that you just pull from, you know, out of the sky. True statistic from, theo from theology is 87% of the time you see a prophet in the Bible, he's not telling the future. He only does that 13% of the time. The other 87% of the time, a prophet's exposing issues. And 13% of the time, the prophet points forward. Elijah, not one forward-telling word. John the Baptist, outside of Behold the Lamb, not one forward-telling thing. And Jesus called him the greatest prophet. Who told us? Who? Imagine Isaiah. False prophet, you said Messiah was coming. 2,000 years later, we haven't seen it. Then, Isaiah's a false prophet. For 2,000 years, if that is the litmus test of a prophecy that whoever says this and it doesn't happen is a false prophet, then Isaiah's a false prophet until. Moses, who would become a great prophet, had to learn the fundamentals right here. It's already established in my present, but it's future for you. So you're going to have to trudge through time to get to what I see right now. Moses, you don't know this, but I'm calling you at the burning bush. But in your future, I'm looking right at in my present. I already see you being justified at a burning mountain. Don't settle for the burning bush because what I'm looking at is mountains can burn.
And Moses, don't stop at a burning mountain because I've already seen that your face can shine with the glory. You are afraid to even look upon me now, but I'm already seeing a Moses that in the future is going to say, show me your face. I already see you for what you can be, Moses. Don't get frustrated with your stutter. Don't get frustrated with looking over somebody else's sheep for 40 years. All of that was a divine setup because you're going to watch my sheep for the next 40 years. All of this, Jethro's sheep was a setup, Moses. And you thought that it was frustrating. It was training for what I was designing you for to do for me. And so all this time, you thought that you were nothing special. In fact, all of heaven knew your name before you were born. That's why we were so adamant about meeting with you today. Hear me clearly. Central. The glory you have felt here in the past was good, but it cannot compare to the glory that God has designed for this church. I am not here, please understand me. I am not, if anybody knows A.J. Holloway, you know one specific thing. I am the last thing of what somebody would call as a hype preacher. I am not here for your emotions. I'm not here to rile you up. I'm here to speak what thus saith God. Go eat dinner and go home. That's what I do. That's my life. That's how I operate. I am here to tell you what God put on me this morning for this church. God has wanted to tell you and is telling you today, the glory you have seen is great, but you can't even imagine the glory that is already in his present that's coming in your future. That's not a hype statement. I felt hope all over me this morning. I could feel it, and I know that you've been through suffering. That's why Paul said these present sufferings cannot compare to the glory which will be revealed in me. What we have to do is we need to look at the present sufferings and say, this isn't fun. This isn't, this isn't what I signed up for, but this present suffering cannot compare to the glory which will be revealed. I'm looking at the church in 2023, and I'm noticing that there's been a hole punched in the bottom of the boat, and we are sinking, and what is being poured into the boat is doubt, and I'm seeing faith being poured out. We're hemorrhaging faith right now. Faith is not where we just kind of like, okay, I'm going to pray and fast, and I'm going to get a miracle. No, faith is believing what God said, even if you can't see it right now. It is setting your affections on that. Even if everything is going wrong in the present, you set back and you say, I still believe. We've had some amazing men and women of God in our movement. One such is T.W. Barnes. If you don't know who he is, then you can sit with these men up here. They'll tell you the stories. But T.W. Barnes was a great man of faith. Everywhere he went, people were healed. And T.W. Barnes, the story that nobody tells is that T.W. Barnes had four family members die in his arms, and he had four nervous breakdowns. Nobody talks about the background story of T.W. Barnes where after a nervous breakdown, he goes into the wilderness to pray and he begins to pray and he says, God, even if you didn't, I'm still going to preach that you can. That's the man of faith that we didn't see in the platform. Nobody was there when he was by himself in the prayer meeting when he said, God, I don't understand. Why didn't you heal my family member? Why did you let this happen? And he still, he brushes himself off in prayer, and he goes back out and he says, I'm going to preach that you can, even though I don't feel it in my body. And you would say, well, that's hypocrisy. No. 
That's what faith will feel like. And I have something to put my faith into is the forever settled word of God. And then it breaks it down. This is the logos word. But then he gives you a rhema word that's for you specifically to where he says, and I feel rhema words in this place that God has said specifically to some of you and even over this church. And there is words here that hasn't happened yet. And what I'm here to do is I'm not going to leave here today and then all of a sudden it's going to happen. I'm the in-between guy that's coming to tell you don't stop. Stop believing that word that was said. I don't have a word from God today to tell you when it's going to happen. I wish that if God told me, I would tell you. But he hasn't told me yet. What he sent me here to do today is to tell you to get your hands on it and say, even though I haven't seen it yet. Gideon dealt with the same insecurity as Moses did. When an angel comes and meets him while he's hiding inside of a wine press from the Midianites. And while hiding in a hole, let me help you with the context of what it means to hide in a wine press. At this time, what they would do is they would take all the wheat and they would beat it on the ground. This was threshing wheat. And the gleanings would fall off and they would collect the gleanings and then all of the thresh would be left and a wind would blow it all away to where they didn't have to do it. Life was easy. But now the Midianites are coming and they're taking their food. So now they got to hide inside of big holes, wine press, four foot deep holes. And so now he's threshing wheat in a wine press. The wind can't blow the thresh. So now he's got to get the gleanings. He's got to beat the gleanings, the, the wheat. And now he's got to pick up all the thresh. The, let me put it this way. The job is way harder than it needs to be. Way harder than it used to be. And in this context, an angel has the audacity to show up and look at a man in a hole and say these words. The Lord is with you. Mighty man of valor. Follow this. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is really with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles? Have you asked that in the past two years? Where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? He did it for Moses. Gideon, don't you remember, though, that Moses was insecure, too, just like you? Who am I? You're no more special or less divine than Moses, Gideon. And Gideon conjures up a story from the past. Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Pause. Gideon, that should have been enough to elevate your faith right there. Because God brought you up from Egypt and told you he was going to do it before it happened. But the whole has a way of ministering. The whole has a way of prophesying to us as well. That's real, true life. But now the Lord has forsaken us. He was back then, but he can't be today. He delivered us back in Egypt, but he won't do it with the Midianites. The Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Now listen to what the angel says to him. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. What might? Gideon just complained about the fact that God had forsaken them. Might, mighty man, valor. Oh, yeah, and you're going to be the guy that saves us from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord says something very familiar. His speech doesn't change, neither does his actions. Surely I will be with you. Hmm. It's not about you, Gideon. It's not about the whole. 
Did you, did you ever stop to think for a minute that I needed to build the muscles up in the hole? That when life was easy, you wouldn't have had the arm strength needed for the mighty man I was designing you to be in the future? I was strengthening your back to pick up what used to, the wind used to blow away. This has been a workout for you. This has all been designed to extract from you what I see you to be in my present, but you're having trouble with it because of the hole. This is building you, Gideon. All of this is for what I've made you for. Gideon, I don't just see you in the hole afraid. That's what you see. I see you as a mighty man of valor on the battlefield battlefield in the future. You don't see what I'm seeing. I'm already looking at you right now with 300 men holding clay jars with lights inside of them. That's what I'm looking at. That's why I can meet with you so confidently and say what you are even if you don't feel it. You see, we're, we're so wrapped up in our feelings right now. We're caught up in, well, man, I thought I was, or I, I thought I heard, or I've got too much of this, or I'm too insecure about that. We are stuck in the hole right now in 2023. And if we don't get out of this mindset and realize that God is still with us, and God sees the church as it is right now in his present, which is our future, we're going to miss the whole end-time revival that God has promised us. You're going to miss the glory that is on its way. This is why Paul could say with such confidence what he did in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew. Them did he predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. Verse 30 is confusing, though. For moreover, whom he pre, those he called. Past tense, all of the verbs right here in Greek are extremely complex because he goes from future tense and then he backtracks about the future and speaks past tense. He says he's already seen us when we were called. He's already looked at us when we were justified. He's already looked at us when we were glorified. And you read that and you're thinking, what does that mean? I haven't even been called yet. I haven't even taught the Bible study yet. I haven't even been justified. I haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost yet, let alone glory. You see, for us, it's the present that is messing us up right now. It's the current that's messing us up right now. But to God, he's looking at every single person in this church. And he says, you want to know? I already see you like me if you submit to my word. I already see the glory. Don't settle at the burning bush. Don't settle at the stutter when a bush can burn. Don't settle at the bush when a mountain can burn. And don't settle at a mountain when your face can glow. And don't settle at a glowing face when 120 can burn. Don't settle at 120 when 3,000 can do it. You see, God has already seen what this is all going to look like and what we need to do is we need to set our affections on his mind and we need to have this mind in us which is also in Christ Jesus that he is looking at the church as it will be for us but as it is for him but brother Holloway it hasn't happened yet oh but it has already I haven't seen it yet oh but God has I haven't heard it he speaks of the future in Romans 8 by using past tense verbs. In the future, you have been called. In the future, you have been glorified. 
in the future it's happened, but I haven't yet. And God would say to you, no, but you have already. But I haven't, I, I don't see it. Oh, but I do. I, how certain can you be? Because I'm looking at it. Let me help you with how this works. Imagine a big clock, not your digital one, not with numbers on it, but I'm talking about a big clock with the actual hour hands, minute hands. You know them old things? It's like CDs nowadays. You know what I'm talking about? Big clock with an actual minute hand, hour hand, second hand. You know the ones? You know, can the young people give me a witness? You know, you've seen them before. You know, they're, they're in museums. You know what I'm talking about? Imagine a big clock. You know where you and I live? We live at the end of the hour hand. We're stuck there. And what we do is we are stuck right here. At 12. This is where we live. I can't go back to 1158. That's, that's over. And I can't, as frustrating as it is, move forward to 1 p.m. All I have is 1201 now. That's all I've got. I'm stuck here, constantly being pushed forward. I am bound by my proximity at the end of the hour hand. And when God would speak to us, he does not live at the end of the hour hand. If you travel up and you go due north from that hour hand, God lives at the dot right in the center. And he's looking at it and he says, I already see six. Or as it were, six. Sorry. I haven't seen a clock in a long time, y'all. you got to help me here. I already see what you are at 6 p.m. And I'm speaking it to you and I'm meeting you at 1 to tell you. And you would say to yourself, God, don't even tell me this stuff. Just, just let me live ignorantly and in bliss. I don't want to know what's happening at 6 because now I'm going to stress out until 6 gets here. No, live in the present because it's present for me. There's a miscommunication between us and God. If I can get my mind conditioned with where he lives, I will be less frustrated by my 1 p.m. And God will look at us and say, stop worrying about 10 a.m. I can fix that. For to those to whom I called, I justified. Justified is the fancy theological word for salvation. I can save you in spite of what you did at nine. I don't know that you can. Oh, but I have already. I don't know that you can save a wretch like me. Oh, but I did already. That's why I was slain at the foundations. I started this at the beginning because I saw what you would need. And so I went ahead and just did it in advance because I'm a good planner. I've got this whole thing figured out. But what do I do about the prophetic word that was given to me that's supposed to happen at 6? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, but I have. I'm looking right at it. I need you to just endure 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock. I don't know where some of you are right now. You might be at 5.55. Would you hold on to what God said, even if it doesn't look like it's here? Does this mean I'm predestined to be victorious no matter what? Well, no, let's be biblical. 1 Samuel 13, 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. He would have done it in the future. But Saul, your insecurity got the best of you and you've aborted the plan. You see, it was prophesied that Israel would go into the promised land. And they did. But the ones who it was told to didn't. They died in the wilderness. 
They would have gone to the promised land, but it was that whole little test of, oh, man, yeah, no. We saw that the milk and honey is true. We saw that the grapes are true. God gave us a little prophetic foretaste of what we would have, but the giants there, you know, can't deal with that present reality. And they died in the wilderness. Forty days of traveling through that promised land. And they came back and they was like, yeah, it's all true, but we can't have it. And God makes them wonder for 40 years, one year per day of proof. I had spent 40 days trying to convince you that I'm not a liar. What makes you, if all of that is true, if the grapes are true, if the milk and honey is true, then why, hear me, let me put it this way. If the salvation is true. If you spoke in tongues when you were filled with the Holy Ghost, and if that's true, then why do we doubt everything else that hasn't happened yet? Either half of it's true or it's all a lie. So then baptism is thrown in the trash. You weren't saved. But no, we believe that you were. Here's why. Because Jesus gave us a little foretaste when he came up out of the grave. And we have proven that through historical fact that there was literally a man named Jesus who walked this earth. He literally went to a cross. We have historical documentation of this. He died on a cross and over 500 people saw him after the cross. And it wasn't just 500 just insane people. All of them were willing to die for what they saw. And so if it's me and it's a lie, then I'm not going to die for it. But we've seen it. And so if salvation is true, then the end time harvest must be as well. If he truly came one time, he'll come back a second time. We need look no further than to what he's done already in the past. If he hears the oppression of his people, he still hears the oppression of his people. If he sees us in our calamity, he still sees us in our calamity. It's just this present stuff that's messing us up. I'm here to let you know that you are going to see what God told you. It doesn't matter how you feel. He's concerned with how you feel, but your feelings are not going to abort what he told you. Your feelings are as real as Gideon's. Your feelings are as real as Moses's. But God is going to look at you and say, not going to entertain that. I just want you to know I'm with you, even though you feel like that. Put that image up there for me. Musicians, get ready. This painting right here, I came across it a week ago, Brother Murphy. This painting was put in the Louvre. It's called Checkmate. The painter designed this painting to be about a young man playing chess against the devil. And if the devil wins, then he gets the soul of the young man. If the young man wins, then he gets to go free. And the painting is called Checkmate because the devil has won. And it was hung in the Louvre, and then one day, a grand master chess player walked through the Louvre, and he was walking through to go see the Mona Lisa. And as he walked past this painting, being a chess grandmaster, he couldn't help but be drawn to it. He began to analyze it, and he looked at the nameplate on the image, and he began to wonder, is it really checkmate? He watched, and he stared, and he analyzed, and he computed for hours. Finally, after hours of looking at this painting, he hollers out to someone, get me the curator. The curator of the museum came to him, and he said, what is it? He said, you have to change the name of this painting. It is not Checkmate. He said to him, what do you mean it's not Checkmate? He said, you don't know me, but I'm a chess grandmaster, and I've been looking at this for hours. And the painter either designed it this way or made a fatal mistake. I don't know. I don't know him. But what I do know is the young boy's got one move left. He said, there is one move left on the board. He said, what do you mean? He said, his king has a move. And if he uses his king, he wins. It's checkmate 
for the adversary. But he needs to know and look for the king and put him into position. Let me tell you right now that the king will always have a move. He is never put into checkmate. I don't care what happens. It doesn't matter what took place. It doesn't matter what you're seeing right now. God always has a move left, and he was waiting on somebody. But here's the thing about God, as he sits on the board of our life, silent, waiting on one of us, just put me in place. Just put me in place. Just trust me. Jesus had a move on the cross, but a whole group of people said, give us Barabbas. And he sat there silent. This is the frustrating thing about God. He is asking us for our trust. Trust me. But God, you're silent right now. Oh, but I'm redeeming. This is why Jesus could go and endure the pain of the cross. Because he said, I know this is going to be terrible. I know that this is going to hurt. I know that there's going to be nails driven through my hand. I know Isaiah's prophecies. I gave them to him. I already knew what was coming when I was born. I knew what was coming when I was 12 years old. I knew the entire process when I got here. I am going to that cross. And I can endure the frustrating reality of the present for the joy that is set before me. We're losing joy in this end time hour because of all the stuff that's going on around us. I have true biblical joy for the first time in 17 years of ministry because I'm not worried about the present. And people look at me like I don't have two brain cells to rub together because they look and they say, well, you don't, you're not pastoring a church. I say, God hasn't told me to pastor a church. And they think that my present is somehow some kind of limbo. And I look at them and say, I'm doing exactly what God told me to do. And it's a joy. It's hard. It's got hardships. But I've got heaven set on my mind. I've already, I already know what glory's coming. Hear me right now. You have glory that has been designed for you in the future and whatever you've experienced at camp young person that can't even compare to the glory that is to come you thought the burning bush was cute wait till the mountain gets here you think that the 250 300 that's in this room is awesome wait until what God shows pastor Murphy comes into this room wait until God fulfills what he showed you in that vision, Pastor. Wait until you see the disciples that God told you you were going to raise up. Wait until you see the small groups that are already emerging that God showed you was going to happen. Wait until you see the unity that he spoke to you was going to be in this church. Wait until you see the deeper dimensions of prayer that has been spoken to this man. Just wait. Just hold on. But we haven't seen all of that yet. Oh, but it's happened already. It's happened already. If we could set our affections on those things, then we could begin to walk in trust. But what do I do about this present? Even though you haven't yet. Let me, let me tell you why. This is not a hype message for me. I've lived this. I have lived this. After our son passed away, it was about nine, ten months later. I may be off on the math right there, so don't quote me on it. I want you all to come run to these altars here in a moment. But... About nine, ten months after, my wife was in Maryland. She was going to see her grandmother, and I was at home. And I took it as an opportunity to pray through the whole house. A lot of times I go into a room and I just pray. But now I had the whole house to myself, so I'm just walking through the living room, and I'm praying, talking to God. And all of a sudden, a voice came down from heaven, and these words hit me. You're having a son. Your wife's pregnant right now. I sat there for a minute and I'm a little dumbfounded. And we do we all do the same thing. So if you while you're beating yourself up over things like this, I want you to know I do it too. I said, Oh, maybe that was me. That must not have been God. I think that's me. And God spoke a second time. He said, 
You're having a son. Your wife is pregnant right now. And so me, I'm as, I'm as weird as the day is long when it comes to spirituality. And I just began to talk to God as if he was actually in the room, you know, that weird stuff. And I said, why are you telling me this? And wouldn't you know what God responds? Blew, blew me away. He said, I wanted you to hear it from me and nobody else. So I did as any rational American red-blooded male would do. I said, well, my wife's coming home, and I was telling God this. I said, well, Amanda's coming home tonight. I'm going to take her. Tomorrow will be Saturday. I'm going to take her to another broken egg in Lafayette's, our favorite breakfast spot, and I'm going to break the news to her that she's pregnant. <laughs> True story, okay? True story. And that's just me. That's just how we do things. So my wife got home that evening, and she ruined the whole thing. She sat down, and she goes, i got to tell you something. I was like, not yet. I got, I got a plan. She's like, I got to tell you something. I said, I already know what it is. She's like, I don't think you do. I said, you're pregnant. She began to weep. And when I see tears after saying something prophetic, I already know. I'm like, we own it. God spoke to me. And so, now you got to understand, I've gone through 10 months, my wife and I both, of hell on earth. I didn't think that there was even a God in a few points in my life. You weren't there the night I was laying on the floor in the fetal position with the thoughts of suicide going through my mind. And so to hear from God was the highlight of my life at this point so far. And then to confirm it, when she looked at me, she said, I'm pregnant. And I was like, God's talking to me. I'm called of God. That's it. I am called. I can hear from God. There is a God. This is all going to work out in the end. There is a heaven. Levi's there. This is a beautiful, blissful day. So I told her we were having a boy, and my sweet wife, she's just, she knows who she married. We met. I was preaching when she met me, and that's what I wanted. I was like, I'm weird from the, from the get-go. Just know it, okay? I'm that guy. And so she just went with it. She was like, well, that's that. God spoke to him. That's, that's what it's going to be. Find you a wife like her. Amen. If you're, if you're a man, I got to preface that nowadays. But so time begins to go forward. God spoke to me a six o'clock revelation, but I was up here at 12. I didn't know what was going to happen at three when it came around. He didn't tell me that three o'clock was coming. He didn't tell me what was going to be at 3 o'clock. All he told me was like Moses, I'm going to bring my people out of Egypt. All right, awesome. God didn't tell Moses about the three plagues that were going to hit Israel. God didn't tell me that we were going to go at 17 weeks into the hospital and have an ultrasound. And they were going to print the little ultrasound out. And I was sitting over there like, this is pointless. I already know what we're having. And then they print it out and they come up to me. And they, the nurse who doesn't even know us looks at me. And she says, congratulations, Mr. Holloway, you're having a beautiful baby girl. Now, I know how irrational it sounds today in the future, but in the present at 3 o'clock, let me tell you where I was at. I, don't, I didn't know the voice of God. Let me tell you how bad it was. I walked into Brother Weber's office, and I pulled my wallet out, and I had my ministerial license, and I put it on the desk, and I said, I'm clearly not. That's how bad it was. And I turned in my license, and I looked at him, and I said, I have no business hearing from God for others if I can't hear his voice for myself. I'm going to mess people up if I'm out here doing this kind of stuff. I've got no business doing it. Let the other guys who are called do it. I'll be a good little pew warmer, and that's what I'll do. And I told him all that. And I said, I'm, I'm not called. And so went through the next several weeks, 
had men of God, friends in my life called me. They were encouraging me. They were saying things. And to me, it was all hype, just like today feels like to you. And I was sitting there thinking, no, that's, I missed it. I'm not called of God. Couldn't even realize the fact that 50% of the word was right. All I could do was focus on the 50% that wasn't right. But somewhere around week 22 of the pregnancy, I don't know what came over me. I really don't. I, I, I think it was more me because I'm pretty stubborn. I think that's what came over me. And God, God really likes me because I'm stubborn, by the way. That's why he called me. So he came and met with me. And I just I began to feel this. My wife and I were discussing girl names. And I just looked at her and I said, no, we're not doing this. And she looked at me. She was like, why? We need to have a name. You know, my wife was starting to, you know, she wants to prepare. And so I looked at her and I said, I'm going to wait until the baby gets here. And she said, why are you going to do that? I said, I think Tim Raskis is wrong. I'm just, now let me back up to the day. We went into the little room and I had the ultrasound sitting on my lap. And Dr. Eileen, who's delivered all four of our babies, she walked in. And before I could say, are you sure? She looked at me and she said, don't even ask. I can see from here. It's clearly a girl. She walked over. She showed me all the stuff on there. I didn't know what I was looking at. She goes, that, 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 that's a girl. That's 100% a girl. She began to weep with us. And so it was settled. But something in my heart couldn't let go of what God said in that prayer meeting. There was something about that 6 p.m. that hadn't come yet that I couldn't let go of. And so I'm holding on for dear life. And I just, I told her, I said, no, we're going to wait. She looked at me. She said, please don't do this to yourself. I'm going to need you at full capacity when the baby gets here. I said, I'm going to be good, I promise. Sure enough, a few more weeks go by. I'm at the church working, and she calls me. Still mad at her about this. She calls me and she says, Hey, are you at the office right now? I said, I am. She hung up. And in my head, I'm like, We lost the baby. That's where my head is at. 3 p.m. has spoken to me more than 6 p.m. at this point in time. I said, We lost the baby. And I'm sitting there in the office. I'm crying by myself. I didn't want to talk to anybody. She walks through that door and she had an ultrasound up against her chest. And when she walked through that door, I looked at it and I was like, That's it. We lost the baby. That's the picture of the baby that, that they had to take. And she put it down. She was crying too. I'm still mad at her. She put it on the desk, and in big, bold letters, congratulations, it's a boy. I looked at her, and I said, hold up. This is the sickest joke you've ever pulled on me. She looked, she started crying. She said, I had him checked five times. I told him, I said, I cannot bring this to my husband unless this is true. And I said, what happened? She said, I asked them that. They said they don't know. They said at 17 weeks, I have two ultrasounds for some of you who are like me, very, just very literal, very just, you know, matter of fact, very, you know, very just cynical. I have two ultrasounds, and I've showed them to doctors, and they said, no, that's a girl. And I said, well, then explain this. And they said, well, that's a boy. And I said, well, then explain Ezra. Explain my son. And they said, I don't have an explanation for you. That's a girl. I said, that's the same child. I did as any normal human would do. I grabbed that ultrasound, I went to the prayer room, and I got mad. I walked in that prayer room, and I said, God, what are you doing? Have we not been through enough? Has the roller coaster not been enough for you that you've had to put us through this now? And this is what God spoke as clear as day. He said, son, I wanted to see if you'd believe what I said. Even if all earthly evidence said it was wrong. And I'm, I'm the guy, I'm going to ask, I said, why would you do that to me? He said, because you're not always going to get the benefit of living with the prophecy you tell. But I'm giving you one to look back on. Every time I speak to you, I want you to say it with confidence. Because you will know now, by this gift that I've given you, that when I say something, it is sure, it is steadfast, 
There's always one move left, Central. I haven't seen it yet, but it's happened already. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to come to these altars, and here's how we're going to have this altar call. Put up Romans 8, 31, because you need the rest of the context. The opening text isn't enough to really nail it home. Watch what it says in Romans 8, 31. After he talks about future, for those to whom he foreknew, them did he predestined, those whom he predestined, them he called, and those to whom he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he glorified. This is how Paul finishes it off. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, present? Shall distress, present? Shall persecutions in the present or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Hear me right now. Your steps are being ordered of God. All you have to do is, the Bible says, the steps of a good man are ordered. All you have to worry about is being a good man, which is impossible because he said there's none good but the Father. So you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, he takes every step you make and he points it in the right direction. You may be saying, okay, I'm going in this direction. He'll push it in the right direction. You may take this step and he's nudging it in that direction because he's going to get you to the glory that he sees. If you submit to his commands, we got a whole Bible filled with it. Don't have time to preach the commands of God. I believe this is a Bible preaching church, and you've heard them already. Continue walking in His commands. Be filled with the Holy Ghost in every step you make. Somebody, please, would you endure 301? Would you endure 302? Would you get your way to 330? And whatever meets you at 345, whether it's problems or blessing, keep on walking to 350 because 6 p.m. is on its way. You can't stop it if you tried, and God's got it already established in His presence present, the enormous revival that is coming, the prophetic words that's been spoken over your family, the lost loved ones, when God spoke to you and said, I've got your loved ones, I see them already, I'm interceding for them, and you're looking at them in the present and seeing them get worse, don't look at the present, I want you to remember what God said about the future, I want you to set your affection on those things right now, and so would you lift up your hands, and would you begin to pull every bit of faith that you can from the bottom of your soul? And would you tell him, I trust you. I know what you said. I know what you're capable of because I've seen it in the past. I saw what you did for Moses. And you're no respecter of persons. So what you did for Moses, you'll do for me. What you did for Gideon, you'll do for me. What you did for Brother Holloway, you'll do for me. What you've done for those around me, God, you'll do it for me. So lift up those hands and would you begin to worship him. There's no greater faith then when you worship him for what hasn't happened yet. Go ahead, Grandma. Begin to worship him for the grandkids that aren't in Sunday school right now. Go ahead, Mama, Daddy. Go ahead and worship him for the kids that are going to be in this church that aren't here yet because the already's on its way. Would you lift up your faith with worship and say, I haven't seen it yet, 
but I'm worshiping you like it has happened already. Worship him for the revival that's been spoken over this church. Worship him like it's happened. Worship as if you were already at 6 p.m., even though you're dwelling in three. Worship him right now and begin to put your worship 